Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. In my life, He's real. How many know the Holy Spirit is real? He is a person. And He he wants to manifest His desire through our life. And so I want to take a few moments this morning on this Pentecost Sunday and introduce you to the Holy Spirit and introduce you to the nature of the Holy Spirit. I want you to leave here this morning having an understanding of what the Word of God teaches about the Holy Spirit so that you will know that the Holy Spirit is not just something that we look at as some weird, spooky little thing like you see on TV, like ghost hunters trying to find something mystical, but the Holy Spirit is a person who wants to interact with you and me this morning and be part of our life and to have an incredible role in our life. Now, when we look at the Holy Spirit, the word Spirit, or Holy Spirit, or Holy Ghost, it is used over 800 times in the Bible. Matter of fact, Spirit and Holy Ghost is translated. Uh, In the English Bible, it was very difficult for the translators really to find an English word uh, to kind of embrace it, so they used the term uh, Holy Spirit, or they used the term ghost. Uh, It gets caught up a lot in the translation. But when you begin to think about the Holy Spirit and the 800 times that is mentioned in the scripture, we see that in the the Hebrew Bible or in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit comes from the word uh, ruach, which means wind or breath or violent violent escalation, a blast of breath. uh, And it means to breathe or a breath. Uh, We see it used in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2 when the Bible said, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. The actual Hebrew means that it breathed or that it broded over the face of the waters and God's creative power came through the Holy Spirit to begin to bring forth life and creation. It means breath. In the New Testament, it comes from the Greek word pneumio, which means a current of air or a blast of breath or a strong breeze in the New Testament. Now, John chapter 6 and verse 69, Jesus said it like this. He said this. He said, the word I have spoken to you, the words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. In other words, they are pneumio. They are are a current of air or breath of life are a strong breeze, they are life. In other words, the term means they are a breath of life that is being brought to you. So Jesus said, my words are a breath of life that is being brought to you. In other words, the word of God is not just words on a page. They are living. They breathe. They are current. They are a breath. They breathe on us, and when the Word of God gets in us and breathes on us, it brings life to us. He said, my words are a breath of life, or a breeze that brings life to you. Now, how many are glad that when you read the Word of God, all of a sudden, life comes into you when you read God's Word? 
And so it's a breath of life. It's to breathe. The words of this page are not normal words. They're words that are life. And they're words that we can experience. The word of God is something that we can experience. We can experience the power of the word of God in our life. It's a powerful word. And so I want to talk a little bit this morning. And so there are certain terms that are used in Christendom, and people get scared of them. One of those words is the word Pentecost. And uh, uh, sometimes if you mention the word Pentecost, they'll say, do you go, are you Pentecostal? Well, we are a spirit-filled church. We would be considered, I guess, a Pentecostal church. But when you, when you use those words, sometimes that scares everybody off. Or there's a connotation that comes with the word that is associated with somebody's experience that they've had before or something they saw on TV or something they seen as a kid or experienced. Now, I will tell you all, when I was, a ki- when I was in high school, my brother went to a, a uh, I don't want to tell you the type of church, but it was wild. I mean, wild. I mean, wild is not even the word for it. And he would come home and he would tell me all of these wild things that were happening, like People, well, I, I don't even want to mention it, but he would, he would tell, and I thought to myself, and in my own knowledge, through my own understanding, I thought, well, that's crazy. Them people crazy. And so we begin to label things like holy rollers, right? Y'all ever, if you've been called a holy roller, you are all right, all right? If you've been called holy roller, you, you, you've not lived till you've been called a holy roller. Holy rollers. You know, uh, and there's this eccentric terminology that's used. And really what it does, it it really, it has blinded really the truth about what the Holy Spirit and his power really is in our lives. Because there is a person of the Holy Spirit who does want to manifest his power through us. But he's not weird. He's a pretty cool guy. And he is a person. But when we talk about, you know, I, when, I, when I heard, used to hear the word Pentecost before I uh, became Pentecostal or spirit-filled or charismatic, whatever you wanted to term you want to use, when I used to hear the word, I used to think of no, no shorts and, and uh, makeup, right? That, that you, don't, you couldn't wear shorts and you can't wear makeup. And uh, I, you know, and, and I will tell you, I love makeup. Well, I don't love makeup, but I like that women wear makeup. <laughs> don't worry, nothing going on at my house. It shouldn't be. <laughs> but believe me, if you like makeup, you, some folk you need you put it on, but you need to wear it. It's good. It's not a bad thing. <laughs> but you know, you get that connotation because it comes with the word. It comes with the association. But if you talk about Pentecost as the term, as the biblical definition. Uh, Pentecost is a representation of the fulfillment of the Old Testament feast, Pentecost, being fulfilled, believe fully in the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, believe every believer needs a vital relationship with the Holy Spirit. Yes, that is what Pentecost is. And that is what it represents. Now stay with me, I'm going somewhere uh, this morning. And so to answer the question, what is Pentecost? 
what, what happened on the day of Pentecost, what that represented, what was birthed in the church, when the church was birthed on the day of Pentecost, what did that do? What does it mean? What is it a fulfillment of? How does it apply to our lives today? What does it mean for the church today? How should Pentecost be flowing throughout the body of Christ today? Well, first of all, we have to understand what is Pentecost. And most of us do not know what it is or what it represents because we've not taken the time to really study it in the scripture. In Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, and we'll talk about that in just a second, what that means to fully come. But when the day of Pentecost had fully come, now there were three major feasts in Israel. There were three major feasts, the first month, the third month, and the seventh month of the Jewish calendar. Israel would gather in Jerusalem to celebrate these three major feasts that there were. The feasts were Passover, which represented the spirit of, uh, the, spirit of the death of the Passover of the children of Israel when they were in Egypt, when the spirit of the Lord, the death angel passed over them and delivered them. And then, then there's Pentecost, and then there's what we call tabernacles, or what we call um, uh, tabernacles. Now, Passover has three feasts attached to it. There's Passover, there's unleavened bread, and there's first fruits. All of that is attached with the feast of Passover. Then there's the feast of Pentecost, which is one feast. It's, it's celebrated 50 days after Passover. And it was celebrated uh, where uh, Passover was the uh, celebration of the Passover lamb and the blood being put on the doorpost. Pentecost was the celebration of the law given at Sinai, and it was a celebration of the giving of the law 50 days after Passover. And then you have tabernacles. Tabernacles is three feasts. In it, there's trumpets, there's the Day of Atonement, and then there's tabernacle or booze, and those three feasts attached to that. So there's seven major feasts that Israel had every year. Three of them were major. There were seven all together, and so each of these feasts had a representation. Now, the Bible said that Jesus came not to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. Is that not right? That's what the Word says. And so the, when we talk about Pentecost... The giving of the law, 50 days after Passover, I'm going to give, tell you what the word Pentecost means. Now, some of you may already know, but the word penta comes from, um, it means five, or it means, um, I guess you could say, uh, five-sided, like a pentagram, right? It means five-sided. Cost means to the 10th power. It really just means 50. 50th is what it means. Now, that's scary, isn't it? <laughs> All of that to scare a bunch of Christians away from a word. And, and really, it just means 50. It means 50. It means to celebrate 50. Why, why would you be scared of the word 50? Pentecost is not a word that we should shy away from or be afraid of. 50 shouldn't be, it just means 50. Unless you're turning 50, you might be afraid of that. But 50 days after Passover is what it represented. God knew that his son would be raised after Sabbath. Jesus uh, uh, was on the earth for 40 days. 
He told them to pray 10 days and the spirit would come on the 50th day and on Passover. And, uh, and, and so the 50th day after the resurrection, it wasn't the 50th day after the resurrection. It was the 50th day after first fruits. And so there's an interesting passage of scripture in the book of Leviticus chapter 23, verses five and six. We won't turn there for sake of time, but you can read it. And it says this, in other words, God was smart. God, in Leviticus 23, he says, begin counting the 50 days, not from the day of Passover, because that could have come on a Thursday, it could have come on a Friday, it could have come on a Saturday, but God says to begin counting to Pentecost, you, you start counting after the uh, day of first fruits. So Pentecost, 50 days would begin after the resurrection, the day after the resurrection. And so 50 days later, we see that uh, on the 50th, we have this outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost Sunday in the book of Acts chapter two, we begin to see this and we know that Pentecost means 50. So what happened on Pentecost? Well, we have it right here in Acts chapter two. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing, mighty wind. Now, we're going to talk about that in just a moment. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as, as of fire. One sat upon each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, I want you to see this. On the day of Pentecost had fully come. In verse 2, it begins to tell us, or down in verse, look at verses 5 and 6. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused. Now, I want you to remember that word. Because everyone heard them speak in their own language. So we had every nation under heaven. We had every nation that was there that had came to Jerusalem. Not only was there every nation, but they heard their own language. Every nation was there. They heard their own language, and the Bible says they were all confused. Y'all see that? They were all confused. Now, this is an interesting because this is why I love the Word of God. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 11 at the Tower of Babel? You remember the story of the Tower of Babel when, when, when they all came together and they were going to build a tower to God to overthrow God? Well, in Genesis chapter 11, the story of the Tower of Babel, they all spoke one language. They all spoke one language and they all gathered in rebellion, but on the day of Pentecost, they all gathered in submission. Okay, on the, on, the, on the Tower of Babel, they gathered in pride, but on the day of Pentecost, they gathered in humility. At the Tower of Babel, there was one language, and God confused the language and scattered them to every nation. On the day of Pentecost, they all came with many languages and many nations, and God restored them to one pure language. Do you all see what's happening here? What is happening here is that God brought a, a, a reversal 
of the curse of the judgment of the Tower of Babel. At the Tower of Babel, they came in rebellion. At the Tower of Babel, there was just one language, and God confused their language. Now, at the day of Pentecost, they all came, and the Spirit of God fell on them. They heard everything in their language, and God took many nations and many languages and brought one language through the power of tongues. There was a reversal of the curse of the judgment of the Tower of Babel. Every nation, ethnos, every ethnic group was there. There was a heavenly language. Now, the fulfillment of the, the, fulfillment of the Feast of Pentecost was the giving of the law, was the giving of the law. Now, in the Old Testament, they celebrated the uh, Pentecost, the giving of the law, the Old Testament law was giving. And do you remember when that happened? That happened at Mount Sinai. Remember when they got to Mount Sinai? They got to Mount Sinai. There was loud thundering and noise up on the mountain. The Bible says a cloud descended and there was fire and God wrote his law where? On tablets of stone, right? And in in that that day, 3,000 people died there. So in the Old Testament, when God gave the law, or what we would consider the Pentecost of the Old Testament at Mount Sinai, fire was, was, noise was made. You could hear thunderings and noise. The cloud descended. There was fire. God wrote his law on a tablet, and 3,000 people died there. Now, on the day of Pentecost, <laughs> on the day of Pentecost, there was a loud noise. There was fire, there was a cloud that descended, and God did not write his law on tablets, God began to write it on the hearts of men, and God did not kill 3,000 people, but 3,000 people came to Jesus on that day, and so the Old Testament law of Pentecost on Sinai now had fully come in the New Testament. Now God was sending fire in us. God was sending fire on us. He wrote his law on our heart, and people are not dying now being in the presence of God, but people are living being in the presence of God. The day of Pentecost had fully come. Y'all getting this? I'm going somewhere. Hang on. Hang on the back. And now the Holy Spirit comes. See, Moses at the top of the mountain is given God's instruction, and at the bottom of the mountain, they're breaking the law. <laughs> Moses is getting the law at the top of the mountain, and at the bottom of the mountain, they're breaking the law. Jesus comes, and he's the standard. And so Jesus comes, his blood saves us. Now the Holy Spirit comes, and we can live righteously because the Holy Spirit lives in us and it can empower us. Y'all with me? And it can empower us to live and overcome sin in our life. You know what the Holy Spirit does? It empowers you to live righteously and overcome sin in your life. The old Pentecost, they were breaking the law before they even left the mountain. 
But now God sends his spirit and it lives in us and now we can live righteously through the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to kill lambs, bulls, goats, and pigeons. Now we can just depend on the fire of God to live in our heart. Now we can live righteously in God. Hang with me. It gets better. So the question is, can I experience Pentecost? Let's look at Acts 2 here in beginning here in verse 3. The Bible says, and then, well, verse 2, suddenly there came a sound of heaven, a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then uh, there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, one and one sat upon them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. Now I want you to see this. The Bible says there was divided tongues that came upon them. Actually, divided tongues, it's usually in, in the, in, we usually read that English word and we think of divided, we think negative, but that's not what the word means. The word actually means divided as individually. It, it means individual. In other words, the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit fell upon them individually, individually, they were, the fire of God fell on them individually. It's like, it's like a hole but a piece. You know what I'm saying? If I bring in a big old pizza in here, I have a whole pizza, but I'm able to give each of you a piece of that pizza, right? It's still connected to the whole piece, That's what the word means. It means divided, individually divided. In other words, it came upon them as fire. And it said they began to speak with other tongues. Now, this is another word that gets scary in our day. When you start talking tongues, people get really nervous. (laughs) Y'all quiet. But the word tongues here translate glossaria, which we get the word glossary from. I mean, that's what the word means. It means, it, it, means, it means language is what it means. So we had the fire of God falling on individually, falling on each of them, and they began to speak in tongues or began to speak in a language, speak with languages as the Spirit gave the utterance, as the Scripture says, and it says, as tongues of fire came on them individually, in other words, it came upon them from a top. And you could see, in other words, I couldn't see And if you were there that day, you couldn't see your own tongues of fire that laid on you, but you could see it on someone else's. Unless I went, Right? So how'd you know it was there? You knew it was there by faith. How do you receive Christ? You receive Christ by faith. How do you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? You don't receive it because you see it. You receive it by faith. Are you with me? Don't go nowhere. In other words, you have to believe by faith that there, that you, in other words, the same way you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the same way you receive Christ. It's by faith. Now, here's, here's, here's the thing. What, what has happened in Christendom is that uh, I hear people say all the time that have the argument against the baptism of the Holy Spirit and, uh, and you know, and, 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 and today, people are so afraid of it. And, uh, but what happens is, I hear them say, well, people that, that say they have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they always act better than everybody else. Like, if I don't have it, then something's wrong with me. 
Well, that's not true. We should never, ever, we should never, ever use it as a tool of manipulation to be used as the flaunt as though we have something that somebody else doesn't have. Let me tell you, the Holy Spirit doesn't make me better than you. The Holy Spirit makes me a better me. Y'all hear what I'm saying? The Holy Spirit don't make me any better than any other Christian that walks the face of this earth. But I can tell you this, the baptism of the Holy Spirit has made me a whole lot better me than what I am right now. And so the Bible said that it fell on all of them. They were, all were filled, the 12, all of them, not just those that were on the platform, but everybody that was there, the 120 that was in the room. The question is, can I receive it? Look back at Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. The Bible says, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For truly, John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, this is Jesus. He's saying there is a promise that is coming. There's the promise of the Father, right? Don't forget that word, the promise. Now, go to verse 38 of Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. It says, then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, First of all, you're to repent, and when you come to Jesus, you repent, and it says, and then you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, not gifts of the Holy, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit shall come, and look at verse 39, look what verse 39 says, it says, for the promise, what was the promise? Acts chapter 1 verse 4, the promise was what? being baptized with fire, the giving of the Holy Spirit. For this promise, in verse 39, it says, For the promise is to you, to your children, and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God can call. Y'all see that? The promise, the baptism. Now, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a, is a, is a separate event. This is what it's teaching us from salvation. It's subsequent. I'm going to show you that in a second in Scripture. But it's subsequent. It's not the same. There is an indwelling of the Holy Spirit that you get at salvation. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit is subsequent to salvation. And it says the promise, remember, Acts 1-4 tells us what the promise is. The promise is for who? It's for who? Look at it. It says for your children... And to all who are afar off. Now, you know what that's saying? That is a direct reference to me. Because <laughs> I'm afar off. I wasn't there, you weren't there, but we are afar off. And we have been afar off. But that promise is to you, to me, to our children, and everyone that is afar off. The baptism of the gift of the Holy Spirit is a promise that we all can have, we all can partake of. He will baptize us with the power of the Holy Spirit. I feel the pushback. 
But it's the truth. In other words, now, you say, well, I need a little bit more convincing than that. Well, I'm glad you asked. If Jesus fulfilled the law of the Old Testament, and the Old Testament is a picture of what God wants to do in the new, is that right? Is the Old Testament a picture of the reality of the new? We are now living under the new covenant, and what was type and shadow in the Old Testament is now reality in the New Testament? Y'all okay this morning? Did y'all's flood? Did y'all's basements flood? <laughs> now think of it. There were three major feasts, right? Passover. And what Passover represent? Passover represented the lamb that was shed for the people, the atonement of the people. We know that the lamb was killed at 9 a.m. in the morning when Jesus went on the cross. It was, it was slaughtered at 3 p.m. in the afternoon when Jesus came off the cross, went into the tomb. The lamb, the sacrificial lamb, would actually begin to be cooked at 3 p.m. in the afternoon in every Jewish home. And so it was a picture. And, and every Jewish home on Passover, at, at once the lamb was put in the oven, the father of the house would hide leavened bread he would hide that leavened bread, and he would not, uh, uh, and he'd pull that leavened bread out after first fruits, after the lamb was taken out of the oven, as a picture of the resurrection, as a picture of that which was died, dead, and burial. So Passover is a representation of what? It's a representation of our salvation. Is that not right? The third feast was tabernacles, right? And what tabernacles represent, it represents, it represents that one day, the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Atonement, the Feast of Tabernacle, uh, to ta it was a promise to tabernacle with God. And in the New Testament, we have a promise that one day we will all tabernacle with God, right? We all know a trumpet is going to sound one day, and, we're, and the dead in Christ is going to rise, and we that remain shall be changed and be with him in the air. We know the Lord is coming back, right? That's what tabernacles was. It was uh, they would go and they would shelter in booths as an example of, of the resurrection, as an example of, of being and tabernacling with God one day. Now, how many experience salvation. Is that right? And we know we're going to experience the bodily resurrection and the return of the Lord. We know that's coming, right? We don't have any problem believing that. Then how can we believe Passover and we can experience that in the New Testament as Jesus being our sacrifice also in the New Testament, we believe the return of the Lord and the trumpets, and he's going to return for his people. We don't have a problem believing that, but we have a problem with Pentecost. You see where I'm going with this? How can we believe those two, but yet take the third feast and throw that out in the New Testament? I'm here to tell you the promise of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for you, your children, and all those that are far off this morning. It's the reality of it. And listen, I know. I know it's been misrepresented in our culture. I know it's been misrepresented in the hour that we live in. I know. I know that it's, 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 it makes people nervous. I'm telling you, it's made some, some, people, some people nervous that even Pentecostal churches are afraid to operate in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
The Bible said there in Acts 2, I'm almost done. I'm going to give you a couple of things real quick. And it said, as a rushing, mighty wind, it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now remember, what was the definition of the Holy Spirit? The word pneumia. It means wind, right? It means breath. It means, it means, it means a, a, a breathing, a life. The day of the Pentecost gave birth to the living breath of God that began to blow, and that same wind can blow today in our lives. The wind of the Holy Spirit can blow. The wind of the Holy Spirit can move at any time, just begin to blow over the course of our life. We're not living past the moment when God's Spirit can fall on a congregation and on a, peer, on a people and His Holy Spirit begin to baptize people with the Holy Ghost and not only begin to baptize them with the Holy Ghost, but begin to move in a supernatural way because we know that His words are life, but His Spirit is life also. There's a couple distinctions about wind that I wanted to leave with you this morning. First of all, you must understand that wind sometimes is unseen. On the day of Pentecost, the wind that came was unseen. Y'all ever heard the news that says there's going to be a wind advisory? Right? You don't see it coming, but you feel it. Is that not right? And when the wind is blowing, I love to step out on my deck and feel that breeze hit me. And I know the wind is blowing. Why? Because it, I don't see it, but I feel it. And I experience it. In other words, I can feel it. Listen, I'm here to tell you that the wind of the Holy Spirit, you cannot see when he moves. But man, I'm telling you, we can feel it, we can experience it, and we can know it. Y'all with me this morning? We can feel the presence of God. We can feel that God is here. We can feel that the Holy Spirit is here and that he wants to be. When he begins to blow, we begin to see him blow. I don't see, we can't see him coming. But what I can see when the Holy Spirit moves on somebody, I know that he's there because I can feel him. And I see his manifestation by the experience that is brought by him showing up. Now, I'm going to show you something here about the Holy Spirit. Some folks are still not convinced, but that's all right. I'm not scared. John chapter 14, I, I want you to read. I want to read a verse of scripture to you. John chapter 14. Everybody turn there. John chapter 14. And I want us to see I want you to read these verses. I'm going to show you three prepositions of the Holy Spirit that is a description of who he is. This will break down what the Holy Spirit, the descriptions of the Holy Spirit through the New Testament. Because we're confused by, well, if I get saved, do, I, do the Holy Spirit live in me? And, and if he lives in me, is that not all I need? And if, he, if he's not, if I don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, does that mean that the one living in me is like unleaded and not regular or what? Is it a copy? <laughs> Is it a shadow? John chapter 14, verses 16. 
And I will pray the Father that he will give you a helper that he may abide with you forever. Now, some translations say an advocate. Some say a helper. Some say that I will give you a a helper, a comforter. Some say a comforter who will be with you. But look what it says in verse 17. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. Now, the world can't know him, and they sure enough can't see him. And a lot of people say, if I can't see it, then I, can't, then I will not believe it. But I'm here to tell you, when the wind blows, you see the wind blowing. And when the wind blows on a congregation, you will see the power of God move through that congregation. You'll know the wind is blowing. I don't need to see it. I just witness what the results of what it does in the life of people and know that it's been there. How many know when the Holy Spirit has showed up? How many know you leave and you know that he's been there? That he's been there. Now look what it says in verse 17. Y'all okay? Okay. But you know him, and he dwells with you and will be in you. Look at that. He dwells with you, and he will be in you. Now, there are three prepositions that describe the Holy Spirit. Now, if you've taken Dr. Sean's uh, Greek class, you will know this. If you haven't, then you don't know this, unless you've taken Greek. The word with you comes from the from the word, the Greek word para, which means with you, beside you. So it says when he says the comforter, a helper will come and he will be with you, it means para, it means to be alongside you. Really, it's the Holy Spirit, what is used by God, when we get saved, the Holy Spirit comes alongside us and it comes alongside us for two reasons, to lead and guide us and to convict us of sin. The Bible says, how did you come to Christ? You came to Christ because the Holy Spirit convicted you. And the Holy Spirit, when it lives alongside you, it does the same thing in the course of your life. In the course of your life, it'll be used to convict you when you begin to get out of obedience with God. It comes from the, word, the, the, the preposition in the Greek para. Then there's the preposition in, E-N. It's a preposition, and it means to dwell in you. In other words, to dwell in you, to live in you, to be in you. The Holy Spirit lives in us. When you got saved, the Holy Spirit, when you got saved, the Holy Spirit came beside you and it came in you. That's what John is saying. The Holy Spirit came beside you to convict you and lead you, and the Holy Spirit lives in you to, to, to speak to you. But here, What is being used here in the book of Acts, the third word that is being used in the book of Acts Acts, is the word epi. It means upon. The Holy Spirit comes upon you. In other words, the Holy Spirit comes beside you. The Holy Spirit comes in you when you get saved. But when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, the word epi, the preposition, means that the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Y'all getting it? The Holy Spirit comes on you. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, here's, the, here's the, really the translation of the word. It means to come on you, to fill you, to overflow. Woo! So what does the baptism of the Holy Spirit does? It comes on us, and when it comes on us, it, it causes us 
to what is God to overflow out of us. So the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to empower you to live and to serve God and to overflow on a world. To overflow, to come out and overflow. That, In other words, it's an overflowing. It is the Holy Spirit coming upon you. And Jesus said this, Jesus said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Those who have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will empower you to live, to overflow onto the lives of those in whom you touch. That's what, the, that's what the wind does. That's the wind of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and he gets in us and he's in us at salvation. But man, the day of Pentecost, he calls the disciples and those that were there to overflow. What was in them began to overflow. If you read Acts 20 or John 20, 21, you see what the Bible says. And Jesus breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Spirit. What he was saying there was the preposition in. In other words, it was their conversion. It's Jesus, the Holy Spirit breathed on them in John 20. And then there's the the wind is unpredictable. How many know the Holy Spirit can be unpredictable? When those that are at airports, they may, they may, they're in those things. How do they know when the wind is blowing? They have those orange cones that tell the direction of the wind and how it is blowing. The wind is unpredictable. The wind can change directions at any moment. In any moment, is, and some people don't like the unpredictability of God. They like everything predictable. They like church predictable, religion predictable, their lives predictable. But I'm here to tell you when the wind of the Holy Spirit comes, he becomes unpredictable. He can flow, and all of a sudden he's unpredictable. You cannot put a predictability on who he is. Jesus was like that. I mean, God spoke to Moses through a burning bush. How many more burning bushes did God use? None. Moses didn't go make a tradition out of burning bushes. Like you can't really know God unless he speaks to you through a burning bush. Why? There's the unpredictability of God. You remember the story of Jesus when he healed the blind man? And, and the man brought Jesus to this man and he told Jesus to lay hands on him. Why? Because he saw Jesus lay hands on people and heal the sick. And he wanted Jesus to lay hands on him. But what did Jesus do? Jesus stepped down the ground and he spit on mud and made mud. And he put it on his eyes. That guy wanted him to lay hands on him. Could you imagine what he was thinking when he started spitting into the mud? He's like, whoa. That's different. Why? It's the unpredictability of the Holy Spirit. He, he's, he's, he's unpredictable. And finally, the Holy Spirit is powerful. That he has the power to move in our lives. If revival is going to come, it's not going to come through the structure of the patterns of men. But it's going to come through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. 
There is a, a power. We know the power of wind. Adam, would you come? We know the power of wind, right? I mean, we've seen what wind can do. We've seen wind can generate electricity. Wind can, can sail ships. Wind can destroy cities, right? Does anybody know better than this city what the wind can do? Is that right? In other words, there are some things that human power cannot fix that only God can fix. There are some things that only the Holy Spirit can fix, that only the Holy Spirit can change, that only the wind of the Holy Spirit has the ability to change in our lives. I want to read Ephesians 4.30 in closing. It's out of the message. It says, don't grieve God. Don't break his heart, his Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you. is the most intimate part of your life. Making you fit for himself. Don't take such a gift for granted. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10. No eye have seen, ear has heard, or mind has conceived. In other words, no eye seen, no ears heard. No mind has conceived what God has prepared for those, but God has revealed it through his spirit. Once the wind of God has blown through, there's a refreshing that comes. When the sweet Holy Spirit comes and moves, all of a sudden there's a refreshing that comes. I've had the worst days of my life before. Not, to, not now, but the worst days of my life before. And I've come into a service and the wind of the Holy Spirit hit my life and there'd be a refreshing and a renewing that took place in my life. I think as you get older, you, you experience that more. You, you, you experience the refreshing touch of God the unpredictable power of the Holy Spirit and how he moves. The wind of the Holy Spirit, letting the wind of the Holy Spirit move. I was with Brother Keith a couple of weeks ago and he was on a Zoom call with a bunch of pastors from Albania. He was doing a teaching. And as he was teaching, he was teaching them about the Holy Spirit and he shared a testimony I never heard before. He said that he was in Russia years ago, back when you couldn't go behind the Iron Curtain, and he was with a missionary there, and, uh, and it was a group of missionary pastors that were from Russia, Ukraine, or wherever that area was, that hot spot that was years ago when they had the Iron Curtain. You couldn't preach the gospel or anything. He said that he's sitting, he's riding in a car with these guys. And they're heading to, they're crossing over the border. They're going into an area of Russia where the gospel can't be preached. 
They were going to a meeting. It was an underground church meeting they were headed to. He said right before he got to the border, he said the Spirit of God spoke to him and said, do not go. Do not cross that border. He had other guys in the car. He said, guys, the Holy Spirit just spoke to me and said, don't go over that border. And they said, no, it'll be all right. The church is underground. No one knows that they're there. He's like, I'm telling you, if I've ever heard the Holy Ghost, he's told me not to go across that border, at least not tonight. They said, oh, you got to go. We got it. We're going to go. We got to go. So they dropped him and another guy off. And he didn't go. He went, they went across the border. And would you believe that underground church got exposed that night? It was just a confirmation. When the wind blows, to have the Holy Spirit to lead and direct and guide in our lives, it's just as important as the very next breath you take. Stand with me. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.